because the message this morning is about Christ alone. Christ alone. We're in Hebrews chapter 1. There is a battle that rages among theologians as to who wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, it doesn't rage in my heart. I know who wrote the book of Hebrews. I have satisfied, I've settled in my mind that it was Paul. And when I get to heaven, I am confident that will be confirmed. I'm maybe being a little bit silly about that. Could be, it could be a number of people. And I think that, that God, it's been called the orphan epistle because it doesn't have a, doesn't have a father. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, I think God left it that way for a reason. Of course, God does everything for a reason. But something that's interesting might be interesting for you. If you look at every other epistle, and I don't include Revelation. I know Revelation is a letter to seven churches, but I count that a little bit differently. But if you look at every other epistle in the New Testament, it's different from Hebrews. In this regard, Romans, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Galatians, these are, by the way, the first words of every epistle. Paul, an apostle. Ephesians, Paul, an apostle. Philippians, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Colossians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. 2 Thessalonians, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. 1 Timothy, Paul, an apostle. 2 Timothy, Paul, an apostle. Titus, Paul, a servant. Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. James, James, a servant of God. First Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Second Peter, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. First John doesn't give any name at all. Second and third John says the elder unto the elect lady or unto Gaius respectively. That's speaking of John himself. And then Jude begins with Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. So at the first word of every one of these epistles with the exception of first John is the name of the person who wrote it and I just think it's interesting the first word of Hebrews God God just wants to remind us who's the author of this whole thing God I mean think about that think about that Paul 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 Timotheus Paul 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 Sylvanus Timotheus Paul 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 James Peter Simon Peter Elder Elder Jude God so it frankly doesn't matter who wrote the book of Hebrews, we know who authored the book of Hebrews. And can I tell you, I love the book of Hebrews. It is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Well, Andy, if you love it so much, why don't you preach through it? Because I am scared to death to preach through the book of Hebrews. I am just not theologically ready to preach through the book of Hebrews. I'm waiting for Earl to take it on, and then we're going to let him do it. And uh, because Hebrews is so rich and there's so much going on. And, and listen, we were in Galatians for like four and a half years. Yeah. Hebrews, I won't live long enough to preach through the book of Hebrews. Asher might not live long enough to preach through the book of Hebrews. There's so much going on in the book of Hebrews. But let me tell you the fundamental reason why I love this book, this book to the Hebrews so much. Here's why. Because of its theme. You know, every book of the Bible has an overarching theme. And Hebrews, man, I mean, I just love it. You ready? Here's the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Better than what? Yep. He's better than everything. Jesus is better. 
In Hebrews, he's better than men. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the law. He's better than the Sabbath. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. He's better than the sacrifices. Friend, let me tell you something. You put whatever you need to in that blank. I can tell you without hesitation, Jesus is better. What are you holding on to this morning that keeps you from choosing Jesus? Can I tell you something? You may love your family, and that's good, but he's better than your family. He's better than your friends. He's better than your spouse. He's better than that boyfriend or that girlfriend. He's better than money. He's better than your job or your career. He's better than your dreams or your aspirations. He's better than your popularity. He's better than your talents. He's better than your favorite pastime. He's way better than social media. He's better than celebrities. He's better than your passions. He's better than your religion. He's better than your mindset. He's better than your wisdom. He's better than your ideas. He's better than your intelligence. And he is absolutely better than your politics. No matter what you imagine in life, friend, I want you to know Jesus is better. Now, here's the question. All right. Why? You've made this assertion that Jesus is better. So the natural question that the world asks is this, why? So that's our message for this morning. Why Jesus is better. Why Jesus is better. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake, in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high." Father, would you help me to preach this message in the way that you want? And there's a way that I've imagined. But Lord, I, I want to just sit all that at the altar, and I want to preach your word in the way that you want it preached. Would you guide and direct and help, move me out of the way, and may Jesus be made much of and lifted up. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Why is he better? Why is he better than my own ideas? Why is he better than my own thinking? Why is he better than my own intelligence? Why is he better than my religion? Why is he better than my upbringing? Why is he better than my family? Why is he better than my friends? Well, first of all, he's better because of his proclamation. He's better because of his proclamation. Look at verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So how did God speak to those in, in the Old Testament? He used the prophets. Guys like Enoch, Noah, Moses, to some degree David, but certainly Samuel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and right on through. By the way, the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, he operated in that same economy and in that same power, just like Elijah, Elisha. These were people that were proclaiming. What were they proclaiming? They were proclaiming 
the Word of God. But God makes it clear here. Yeah, at sundry times and divers' manners, various times, different ways, I use the prophets. But now I speak to you through my Son, Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus speaks, his words are the words of God. His proclamation is in every sense of the word deity. He's God. And he reflects and is the word of God. His words are unfailing. They're unchangeable. They're unassailable. They're unimpeachable. They're undeniable. They're unequivocal. They are the words of God. They don't contain the word of God. They don't reflect the word of God. They don't appear to be the word of God. They are in every sense the word of God. What a proclamation. What a proclamation. Why is he better? He's better because his proclamation are the very words of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same is in the beginning with God. Now, how do we determine what are Jesus' words and what are the words of man? This book right here. This is the Word of God. My point to you about this is Whatever you may have, that may be good. Your family may be good. Your friends may be good. Your job may be good. Your money may be good. But whatever it is, it's not the living word of God. And that makes Jesus better. See, Number two, Jesus is better because of his proclamation. But you know what else? He's better because of his provision. Did you know that Jesus is at the center of everything you have and everything you are, whether you're a believer or not? Your very existence is owed to him. He has provided everything. The Bible says that every good gift, that's a gift of rain that falls on the just or the unjust, every good gift comes from the Father of lights. So if you're enjoying a wonderful resurgence of your 401k, you can say that's because of whoever the sitting president is or Congress or whatever, but no, anything you enjoy came from God. God did that. The freedom that we enjoy. I thank the Lord for our veterans and especially for those that, that, uh, that have given their lives for our freedom. I thank the Lord for them. But don't forget, it all comes from God. God... Every good gift comes from the Father of lights. Ultimately, it all comes from, well, what I have, I have because I worked hard. Who do you think gave you the wherewithal to work? Who do you think gave you the job? Who do you think gave you a boss that doesn't mind being with you every day? God did all of that. His provision. And I'm telling you, there's no way you can turn that you don't see his provision. Look at what it says. Hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So let's let's look at this. Let's break this down. 
First of all, I want you to know he's your past. You're here because he's the one who made the worlds. Do you understand what that means? That means that the distinct person of the Trinity, the Godhead, it was Jesus that did the creative work. Those disciples, as they sat around that fire at night and heard Jesus teaching them, they heard the very same voice that thundered through nothing and said, let there be light. Same voice. Hey, can I tell you something? It's the same voice that speaks to you too. You see, he's your past. All things were made by him, John says, and without him was not anything made that was made. You have your wife because he made her. You have your husband because he made him. You have your children because he made them. You have, your, you have the world in which you live because he made it. He provided that for you. You know what else? He doesn't just cover our past. He covers our present. Look at verse 3 who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Do you know what that means? Not only do we have a world because of Jesus, we still have a world because of Jesus. Right. I, you know, I get it, gravity and inertia and all that kind of stuff, but you understand it is the activity of God himself that keeps the world spinning. Everything stays together. This whole place hasn't blown into a gazillion pieces because Jesus is still in control. Your body works the way it does because Jesus is in control. Uh, You know, all these things that you enjoy on a day-to-day basis, he's right in the middle of all of it. Well, I'm not a believer, so I don't know if he's in the middle of my life. He says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You enjoy blessings from him whether you want them from him or not. Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That means placed and kept together. So he provides for your past, he provides for your present, and you know what else it says? He provides for your future. Back in verse number 2, it says he is appointed heir of all things. This, this world's a mess right now. We got all kinds of crazy stuff going on here in America and in Ukraine and in the Middle East and in Africa and in India and all over the place. And it is a mess. But can I tell you, ultimately, it all comes back to him. Right. No, nobody's getting all of this. He is. He's appointed heir of all things. Revelation eleven fifteen and the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Who's gonna get who's gonna get that little piece of land between India and Pakistan? Is it Kashmir? Is that what it is? Who's gonna get that? Ultimately Jesus is gonna get it. Who who controls the West Bank? Israel or the Palestinians? Ultimately, Jesus is going to control it because it all comes back to him. He is the author. He is the sustainer. He is the finisher of all things. That's why he told John in Revelation 1.8, I am Alpha, the beginning, and Omega, the end. 
saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And so later on in this very book of Hebrews chapter 13, it says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can go to the highest mountain. You can go to the lowest valley. You can go to the deepest grave. You can, you can plummet into the, the darkest seas. I got news for you. He's there, and it's all his. And he's in control of all of it. So whatever you may have may be good, but it's not all-encompassing like Jesus, and that makes him better. Can I tell you, friend, he's better in his proclamation. He's better because of his provision. But you know what else? He's also better because of his presentation. I've known a lot of preachers over the years. And some preachers have better presentations than others. Now, that doesn't mean a thing as to how God will use them. But some preachers... I mean, let's be honest. There's some preachers out there that, you know, if you see there's a meeting across town and, you know, Dr. Such and Such is preaching, you know, oh, man, I got to be there for that. That guy's something, man. I'm going to tell you that. Wow, I got to be there for that. And there's others, and, you know, Pastor Such and Such is going to be here for you, and you're like, I got to work. Or I got to stay home. And a lot of times that's because of presentation, you know. But I got to tell you something, there's no... There's no preacher who's ever walked this earth like the preacher who preached the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> like the one that preached the Olivet Discourse. Now that's a preacher. And that's a presentation. What's he displaying? What's he presenting? I want you to look at verse number 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Can I tell you, first of all, he displays the glory of his Father, the brightness of his glory. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his what? Glory, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I've been told, I've been told that my son resembles me a little bit. And if you look at baby pictures of me, good luck finding those. If you've been, if you look at baby pictures of me, there is some resemblance. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus doesn't just resemble his father. He is the express image of his father because he doesn't just display his glory he displays his attributes see with his glory he displays for us the brightness that human eyes can't take in but sadly there's a lot of people that don't want to see it many do not want to see the brightness of the father and the son second corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 but if our gospel be hid it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
See, he displays his glory, but he also displays his attributes, the express image of his person. Express image literally means an exact representation, not duplicate representation. It's used, the phrase is used in Greek culture for a die that stamps in an image. So what's it saying? It's saying that Jesus isn't just a good copy that represents God's well, God well. He is the imprint of human, in human flesh of very God. He is God imprinted in human flesh. And that's, that's what he meant in John 10.30 when he said, I and my Father are one. We're the same. We're both God. People that say Jesus never actually technically claimed to be God. Yeah, he did. If not, then pray tell me why they won't kill him. See, I and my Father are one. As such, Jesus displays every attribute of his Father, his holiness, his love, his justice, his omnipotence, omniscience, his omnipresence, his mercy, his grace. Could I put it to you this way? Everything you want to know about God, you can see in Jesus. Now hear me. Oh, well, I want to know Jesus more, so I'm going to read this dude's book. I'm not against reading good books. But don't you think that's where you're going to find Jesus? Right. I want to know more about God, so I'm going to watch this new Hollywood adaptation of God. Listen, again, I'm not against people trying to convey the gospel through film. I'm not against that. But that's not where you're going to see God. See? Well, I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to try to find God by hanging out with these people that seem to know a little bit about him and, and, you know, and just kind of getting in the middle. That, that may be helpful depending on who the people are, but... Don't think that's where you're going to find God. So, so where do I find God? Do I find him in my religion? Do I find him in my culture? Do I find him in my tradition? No. Everything you want to know about God, everything you want to see in God, you look to the Jesus of this book and you'll see him. Amen. You'll see him. You see, your idea about God may be good, but Jesus is better. He's better because of, uh, because of his uh, proclamation, because of his provision, because of his presentation. But can I tell you, he's better because of his purging. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. Let me say that again. When he had by himself purged our sins. What does purge mean? It means to wash off, to wash off and to purify. It means to get rid of. It means to get rid of. When you purge something from your life, you don't clean it up, you get rid of it right? I, I desperately need to purge certain foods from my diet. That doesn't mean cut back. They need to go. Can I tell you something, friend? You don't need to cut back on your sins. You need them purged. You need them gone. You need them washed away. 
Jesus took our sins and washed them away on the cross. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, he's just listed this terrible list of the most vile sinners you can imagine. And then he says, and such were some of you. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Friend, you may be sitting here right now, you may be watching online, and you're the worst sinner you can imagine. I got news for you. Jesus can wash that away. Jesus can cleanse you. Jesus can purge you of your old sins. Jesus can make you a new creature, and old things will pass away, and all things will become new. Jesus can do that because he's better. He's better because of his purging. Revelation 1, verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want you to notice what it says. It says he did this by himself. He didn't need any help. Doesn't need your help. Well, I, I'm, I believe that I ought to believe on Jesus, but, but I'm going to tack baptism onto that. No, he did it by himself. He doesn't need baptism. Well, I'm going to tack on my religion. Nope, he doesn't need your religion. He did it by himself. Well, well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tack on praying to the saints. Nope, he didn't need the saints. He did it by himself. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tack on the traditions of my family from way back when, and, 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 and we have to do this, and we have to do it. No, Jesus purged you from your sins by himself. He went to that cross, and he went there alone. Even his father forsook him. He was all by himself. Why? So that we would never again need to be by ourselves. Do you understand what happened on that cross? I heard one preacher put it this way. If somebody were to come in and slaughter your family, God forbid, slaughter your family, and he goes before the judge, and the judge hears the case and says, I know you did it. I know you're guilty, but I'm... I'm feeling merciful today. And so I'm, I'm calling you not guilty. And I'm freeing you to go and live your life. You would understandably be up in arms, wouldn't you? What? That's unjust. That's not right. That judge is wrong. Well, let me ask you this question. Why then do we expect God to do that? When we stand before him guilty, we stand before him having offended his holy law in every way imaginable. Do we expect God to just say, well, I'm feeling merciful today? No, because Abraham rightly said, the judge of all the earth, we can expect to do right. And to forgive us of all of this would be wrong unless, unless the righteous judgment of God can be satisfied. 
Unless sin can be paid for. Unless sin can be reckoned for. And so here's what happened. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to that cross. And God took your sin and my sin and the sins of all mankind. And he poured it on his only begotten darling son. And God raised his hand in judgment. And he paid. He, he, he beat his son and whipped his son and punished his son for my sin and for your sin that his righteousness might be satisfied that sin might be paid for that the judge of all the earth would be right and not wrong and Jesus hung there between heaven and earth and absorbed the wrath of God and absorbed the anger of God and suffered in our place and suffered our hell and suffered our death and finally God turned his back and said I'll not even look on it anymore But then Jesus, in his eternal mind, surmised that God's righteousness had been satisfied. And he cried out, it is finished. And in doing so, he purged our sins. He washed them away. Friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you will die with your sins already paid for. You will die with your sins They could have been purged. They could have been gotten rid of. Jesus took care of that on the cross at Calvary. They buried him, and on the third day, he rose again and ultimately went to the Holy of Holies in heaven and took his own blood as our high priest and put it on the mercy seat there, and he just put it over. And now God, who dwells over his Shekinah glory, who dwells over, he looks down, and he doesn't see the law that condemns us. All he sees is the blood of his son that is washed away, that is purged our sins you may have a great husband a great wife you may have great kids you may have a great boyfriend a great girlfriend you may have great friends you have a great job you may have a great pastime you may have great dreams you may have a lot of money but i tell you what you don't have outside of jesus you don't have somebody that can purge your sins and that makes him better amen amen he's better by the way Not for nothing. Mary can't do it either. Muhammad can't do it. Confucius can't do it. Your own God God ideas can't do it. Only Jesus can purge sins. He's better. He's better in his proclamation, in his provision, in his presentation, and in his purging. But now, one one more thing. He's better in his praying. We're still in verse 3. Being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, what did he do then? Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, When Jesus left, he gave us his spirit. That's how he continues to communicate with us and to dwell in us, is his spirit. But where is Jesus the Son right now? The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So what's he doing? If he's seated at the right hand of the Father, what's he doing there? Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Now listen to this. Who is even at the right hand of God, 
who also maketh intercession for us. What's he doing right now? He's at the right hand of the Father praying for us. We are constantly on his mind. (laughs) There's other things that go on there. Did you know the devil can still come into the presence of God? And he does, mostly for one purpose, and that's to accuse the saints. It's the only time the devil ever speaks the truth is when he goes to God and he tells God how sorry I am. All right, devil, you didn't mean to, but you told the truth. I am pretty sorry. And so he goes to the father. Did you see that preacher down there? That pastor? That big shot? That that guy that claims to be a purveyor of your word and, and claims to lead people? Did you see that attitude he had? Did you see that thought he had? Did you see what he did? Did you see what he, what he said? Did, did, you, did you catch that? Oh, he's a real winner, isn't he? What a loser. And then Jesus looks at him and says, you see these holes? Yeah. I purged those, those sins. And so, because of that, when the devil says, did you see, did you see, did you see, you know what the Father's answer is? No, I didn't. All I see is the righteousness of my Son. Because I have my Son here eternally to remind me of what he did for him. He's praying for you. He's talking to God about you. Would you be, would you be, uh, there's been times, let me put it this way. There's been times that I've sent a text or sent a note or something to somebody and let them know, the Lord laid you on my heart and I just want to know, I just, I've been praying for you. And I'll hear from them later and they'll say, you know, it meant a lot to me that the Lord laid you on my heart that moment. That meant a lot to me. Can I tell you something? You're on the Lord's heart right now. The creator of the universe is thinking about you right now. Now. And can I tell you, when we, when we put that up against our loved ones, our friends, our family, our pastime, our, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Jesus is better. Amen. He's better. <laughs> He's better. All right, Andy. He's better. So what? This is the easiest so what I have ever preached in my life. So here it is. If you're here today and you're trusting in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ for your eternity, you need to know right here, right now, Jesus is better. Your religion can't save you. Your good works can't save you. Your, po- your politics can't save you. Your, your family heritage and background can't save you. How much money you've given to charity can't save you. Your, your, your husband, your wife, your kids, they can't save you. Your church membership can't save you. Your baptism can't save you. None of that can save you. Whatever you're holding on to, Jesus is better. 
And it's time for you to stop playing around. I'm, I'm not trying to be unkind, but, but it's time to stop playing around and understand that there is an eternity for everyone. There's a heaven or there's a hell. And right now, which way you're going is entirely dependent on whether or not Jesus is the better of your life. Have you trusted him and him alone as your Savior? Because remember, he purged your sins by himself. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that's your so what. He's better, and it's time for you to meet him. Secondly, I wonder by an amen how many of God's people, Christians, saved people, would say, you recognize that Jesus is better. How many would say that by an amen? amen. Okay, then why is it we put so many things ahead of him? If he's better than everything, then why do we opt for so many other things? That's our so what. That's our so what. So, so what should be his posture, his position in our life? right here on this pulpit. You remember I read to you Colossians chapter 1, verse 17? And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You know what the next verse says? That in all things, he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. First place. Number one. And if Jesus is not ever the better in your life, that's your so what. Recognize it and act on it. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever you're holding on to, Jesus is better.